my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, Jeff Walling is with us today. He first came to Northside in 1978. 1978 was uh, the year we started the Soul Winning Workshop, and uh, regional and international kind of soul winning workshops were springing up different places, and uh, Wichita decided to have one. And when you do that, you have to find outside speakers. And uh, that was a little hard to do back then. There weren't as many uh, communication, Internet, and all that as we have today. So we got a few audio tapes of different preachers, and this one kid from California sounded pretty good. Uh, sounded like he knew what he was talking about, had a good speaking voice and all that, so we invited him. And he showed up, and he was 19 years old. Of course, he made up for that by looking like he was about 12. But, <laughs> but anyhow, he became a friend of Northside and a friend of many Northsiders uh, from that day on and came back a number of times for meetings and workshops and youth rallies and lots of things in this area. Uh, since then, he's gotten married, which was the best thing that ever happened to him. Uh, made some real progress after that. Had three boys, has got one daughter-in-law, uh, moved from the West Coast to the East Coast, and now has moved back to the West Coast and uh, works for Pepperdine University uh, in the Office of Recruitment. And if you wonder what kind of cushy job that is in the Office of Recruitment, here's what he told me he did this weekend. He uh, left his home and drove uh, to L.A. Uh, late Friday night, uh, got on an airplane after midnight, Yesterday, uh, in L.A., flew to Atlanta, got another plane to Wichita, rented a car, drove to Garden City, spoke at a youth rally, got back in the car and drove back to Wichita, and uh, that's why he was here, couldn't get a plane until this afternoon, so he needed a place to sleep. Uh, that's why he called me. And I explained that we'd give him a place to sleep and breakfast and lunch. All he had to do was teach the youth group this morning and preach for us this morning. <laughs> and those of you that are familiar with Jeff know I made a really good deal. <laughs> so anyhow, Brother Jeff Walling is here to speak to us. Those of you that are familiar with him are already anticipating a, a fine lesson. Those of you that aren't familiar with him... Uh, let me just assure you, he proclaims God's Word very well. Uh, Brother Jeff, come and preach the Word, please. Thank you, sir. Well, it is indeed an honor to be with you again. I remember as a small child listening to Steve preach. <laughs> and... Uh, I see so many, so many familiar faces, uh, even Brent, who led the singing this morning. His son was out with us recently, who is going to be making his own move to Southern California, and we're excited that Ryan's coming our way. Uh, noted that uh, Steve's son was uh, helping with the Lord's Supper this morning and recognized faces as I came in. Uh, it is clear many of you, I'm sorry to say, have aged. Uh, and uh, it has been a number of pounds, pardon me, a number of years since I've been here. 
but, uh, but it's just great to be here again. If you're a guest, maybe you're like me. This is actually the first time I've gotten a chance to be in this particular facility here. I hope you already have found this to be a church that not only loves people, but loves Jesus as well. I hope you've already discovered this to be a friendly place. And if you're looking for some place here in the community saying, you know, I, I want to find a place where I can find some answers. I want to find a place where I can get involved and make a difference. I want to ask what the meaning of life is. And I believe you come to a great place here at Northside. And I want to commend this church to you, as well as bring you greetings from a Kansas boy. I was not born in Kansas, but George was. George actually grew up close to Kansas City and began uh, several years ago a little company called Western Auto. Any of you remember the company called Western Auto? Western Auto is one of the first companies to sell car parts through the mail. George decided it'd be the way to make a couple of bucks. And so he started a little company and George became a millionaire. Moved to California and decided there ought to be a Christian college in Southern California. And so it was that in 1937, George Pepperdine College began in Southern California. So on behalf of all of us in California, thank you for sending that Kansas missionary out our way with bags of money where he could buy property in Los Angeles and plant Pepperdine University there. We had 14 students at Pepperdine University in 1937, but today there are 3,000 undergraduate students and another 3,000 graduate students, students studying law, studying public policy, studying graduate psychology and education, as well as business. Also, Pepperdine moved from Los Angeles in 1972 and moved. Go ahead and punch that button for me, Dale. Let's see if we can show them the campus. Uh, this is the current campus, our main campus at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. This is where my wife and I moved from Charlotte, North Carolina, about a year ago. If you have not been to the Pepperdine campus, I want to extend an invitation. In, in May of each year, the first week of May, we host something called the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. This year, we had 300 presenters from all across the United States come and speak to nearly 4,000 Christians who gathered there. It takes place the first week in May, and, and here's the deal I'll make you. First off, the Pepperdine Bible Lectures is absolutely free, much like the old Mid-America uh, Soul Winning Workshop that used to be here in this part of the country. The lectures are a gift from Pepperdine to the Brotherhood. But we do better than that. The dorms clear out the week before because that's when our students leave at the end of the school year. And we make dorm rooms available for families that would like to come. And for four nights to stay in Malibu, California, it's a total of $140. So uh, husbands, there's the vacation you've been looking to impress your, impress your wife with. And say, baby, I'm taking you to Malibu. Don't worry, I saved up the money. And, uh, and, and come in and just enjoy the week with us. Uh, I, I sincerely want to, uh, to invite you to come out. It's a great week as well as obviously a beautiful place where God has nestled Pepperdine there. Uh, God has continued to bless the university, and by bringing me here, and Steve, I, I have to correct you, pardon me, I technically am not a recruiter, I work with the Office of Church Relations. That means I get to spend Pepperdine's money trying to figure out how to bless the kingdom. There are a number of projects that we've been working on, one some of you may have heard of, called the Next Gen Preacher Search, G-E-N, short for Generation. 
If you look up Facebook, and uh, I know some of you seniors have to stalk using your junior high grandchild's uh, account, but that's okay. You can just log on. I know you know their password. Uh, but you can get onto Facebook and see if you look up Next Gen Preacher Search on Facebook or go to nextgenpreachersearch.com, the results of a search we did last year. We invited juniors and seniors in high school and college students interested in preaching to submit a five-minute video of themselves doing that. We got 127 submissions from 20 different states of young people giving a five-minute lesson. I can't tell you how encouraging it was. We drafted 40 ministers from across the country to be mentors to 40 of them, who we believed we saw in them some talent and capability. And we invited those students to come to Pepperdine University for two and a half days of training with our speech and preaching coaches. After doing that, we re-videotaped them, and those are the videos that you can see there on Facebook. And we selected four. Those four spoke at the Tulsa Soul Winning Workshop this year. Those four also spoke at a large conference in Cincinnati before 5,000 folks, as well as at the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Gifted, gifted young people. One of them, a 17-year-old young man from, uh, from New Orleans, did a great Great job. You're going to hear more from this young man as well as from a number of the others. Would you keep Pepperdine in your prayers as we are trying to raise up the next generation of young Christian leaders? If you have a student who's, uh, quite frankly, uh, very bright, uh, Pepperdine is a, is a college that has excellence in academics. And because of that, we're sought out by many people, many, many of whom are not from the churches of Christ. And the, uh, currently we, we received 10,000 applications for 840 freshman spots. So uh, a lot of competition in getting into the school. But on behalf of the president of Pepperdine University, Andy Benton, I want you to know that we are working hard to make sure that folks from the heritage of George Pepperdine, members of the Churches of Christ, are able to have their students attend there. There are special scholarships for Church of Christ students and opportunities for them. So if you've got a bright, young high school student, uh, I'd love to answer questions for them. You can reach out to me, of course, through the Pepperdine website. But I hope that they would consider possibly Pepperdine. One of the reasons we pray for bright, young Christian students is because we have a number of students, maybe as many as 20 to 25 percent of our student body, do not know Jesus. They come from Asia. They come from Europe. They come from Saudi Arabia. They come because of the beauty of Pepperdine's campus and the excellence of our education. But I believe God brings them there so that they can also learn about Jesus Christ. And so we are looking for young Christians who will come and get a great education, but also be missionaries to the world without ever leaving the borders of the United States. Traveling and bringing in these students from other places reminds me of the old farmer who came from the south, drove all the way across the country because he promised his wife at one time he'd take them to show them California. They arrived in San Diego after having driven across the Mojave Desert, got out at the gas station there, and the old farmer stretched his back, and the gas station attendant said, well, how was that drive? He said, man, I tell you, we just drove all the way across that Mojave Desert, and it was hot. Gas station attendant giggled a little and said, uh, what did you say? He said, the Mojave Desert, right out there. He said, sir, it's pronounced Mojave. He said, well, it's spelled with a J. 
He said, I understand. Here in California, many of our words are Spanish words. And so the J is pronounced like an H. He said, all right. He said, where are you going to head next, sir? And the farmer said, well, we're planning on going up the coast here. My wife wants to see where the swallows come back every year in San Juan Capistrano. He said, sir, that's San Juan Capistrano. That J thing. Oh, God, all right, all right. He said, when you drive on up the coast, you're going to come to Mission Viejo. It's Viejo, not Viejo. You understand? Okay, all right, got it. He said, how long will you be here? And the farmer thought. He said, we're going to probably be here through the end of Hoon or maybe Hulai. We're really not not sure. Sometimes you need a native to answer questions for you. Can I get a, oh, yeah? I, uh, I, several years ago, when we first moved to Charlotte to preach there for the Providence Road Church of Christ, had one of those days that some of you have experienced when I was uh, sitting on the couch watching TV, had kind of been laying on my side, but sat up, and I had a shooting pain in my left arm. Now, I'd watched enough television programs to know that a shooting pain in your left arm is one of the signs of a heart attack. I began to massage that arm, and, and my fingers were tingling. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. My wife said, what's wrong? And I said, I've got a shooting pain in my arm. My fingers are tingling. She says, are you sweating? Well, by this time, I was. Uh, I said, well, I I feel a little warm. She said, oh, my goodness, Jefferson, what do you think? Now, I had already met Dr. Barton, who I'd just been introduced to two weeks before, who was a member of our congregation. So I thought, well, I'm going to call the doc. And I I, I got out the the directory, just been given it the week before, brand new there, found Dr. Barton's name and gave him a call. Found him at home. I said, "Uh, is this Dr. Barton? He said, yes. I said, Dr. Barton, I don't really know you well. I'm Jeff Walling. Oh, you're our new preacher. I said, yes, but I I need your help. He said, all right. I, I said, Dr. Barton, I'm having shooting pains in my left arm. My fingers feel a little bit tingly, but but when I move my arm, the pain decreases some. I, I, I'm feeling a little warm. I, I I don't think, but but my my wife says I need to check. Do you think I'm having a heart attack, Doctor Barton? I remember a long pause, and he said, "Well, if when you move it, it it changes, I I, I don't think so." He said, "But you do know I'm a veterinarian." I <laughs> said. <laughs> I said, no, Dr. Barton, I, I didn't. He said, well, that's, that's all right. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to die, but uh, if you do, God bless you. Uh, you know, when we want to get answers to questions, we need to find somebody who is an expert, somebody who's a native, somebody who knows the language, somebody who is able to, maybe has been there before and able to tell us how to get where we want to get to. Through the years, many people, and if you go to the next slide for me, guys, many people have tried different things to try and find out where can I turn to get the right answers for life. And some of those have been pretty foolish. You see, Albert Carter, back in the late 1920s, developed something that he called the sightseer answer giver. It was a tube, and the tube had a little dice in it. But it was Albert's brother-in-law, Abe Bookman, who took Albert's work and developed it into something a little different. In 1950, the Mattel Toy Corporation bought the idea from Abe Bookman and developed a toy that would end up a few years ago on Time Magazine's list of the 100 most famous toys of all time. Now, I'm betting some of you have actually held one of these 
It came to be called a magic eight ball. Anybody remember the magic eight ball? Anybody happen to have brought one with you to, to, to church this morning? It did, it, does anybody have one? I'd, sometimes people will, uh, will bring them with. Katie, do you, have, you do happen to have one. Why, of course you do. This is the preacher's granddaughter, and she carries a godless device. All right, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, Katie was good enough to, uh, to hang on to that for me until I needed it. Now, some of you young ones may not have seen this, and some of you may say, well, I kind of remember it. Albert Bookman, uh, pardon me, Abe Bookman and Albert Carter developed this idea by putting liquid inside of this. You all remember how this thing works? You, you, you ask it a question, supposedly, right? I might say, for instance, will this sermon be any good? And then I just kind of turn it over like this. And if you hit that button back here, let's see if we can see what it says. Outlook, not so good. All right. Uh, let me turn it over again. Uh, uh, will Steve be embarrassed that he invited me? And what's the next answer there? Uh, yes, uh, as I see it. All right. So, so you, you recognize, of course, that this is just a completely ridiculous little toy. But you also understand that whether it's looking at your horoscope in the newspaper or sometimes just kind of asking friends, what do you think about this? We can be just as foolish in trying to get answers as I was calling a veterinarian when I worried that I was having a heart attack. So where should we turn for the kind of answers we need? I want to give you just one verse this morning and then we'll be done with this sermon. This is the short, simple, to the point. I'm the preacher you've been looking for. Uh, so let me... Uh, let me invite you to turn over to, to Psalm 37, and we're going to read together. In fact, I'm going to get you to memorize a verse of Psalm 37 with me. I sometimes call one of these verses the magic eight ball verse in Scripture. Not because it's uh, in any way connected to Mattel, but because it's a verse that through the years in ministry, I have found virtually any question that begins with, what should I do about this? Can be answered with this one verse. Do not be fret, brother. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. The psalmist says, I want you not to worry when you see wicked people and you think they're getting away with murder. He says, I don't want you to look at the supermarket at those magazines that are right there where you check out and say, will you look at that? Look at the way that woman or look at the way that man lives. And yet there they are. They're the millionaire. They're the one with their picture on the paper. He says, do not fret because of those who do evil. He says, I don't want you to worry about the terrorist. I don't want you to have a fear when you go to a movie theater, or when you get on a plane. He says, I don't want you to live as a person who is constantly saying, oh, my goodness, what do I do? What do I do? Psalmist goes on to say, hey, like, like green grass. Boy, in California, after four years of a serious drought, I understand how green grass can wither quickly. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Well, what do I do then, David? He goes on to say, trust in the Lord and do good. Can you say that line with me? 
Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord or take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Surprisingly, the answers to life questions seem to be all found in this one verse. Let's say it one more time, just that first sentence. Trust in the Lord and do good. If you come up to me and say, Brother Wallen, could I speak to you just for a minute? I'm struggling with a situation, whether you're 16 or 63, and you say, I'm wondering what I should do about. I could actually stop you right there and say, I don't know what the rest of the sentence is, but I'll tell you the answer already. Let's say it together. Trust in the Lord and do what's good. Now you say, how could you possibly be so glib and flip? You don't know the kind of issues I'm dealing with. You don't know what I'm facing. You're right, I don't. But I'm going to bet that the fellow that wrote that does. God, of course, inspired it, but he used King David to write it. One of the great kings of all time. One of the few men who the Bible says in the book of Acts, the 13th chapter, in the 21st and 22nd verses, that he was a man after God's own heart. A man, the scripture says, who is willing to do whatever God called on him to do. Now, don't read that as a perfect man, for David's life was certainly not perfect. I went to a conference the other day where they encouraged us to take a piece of paper and draw our life map. They said, I want you to put a dot on the paper where you are now. And then because it was a Christian conference, they said, I want you to put a cross where you want to be. And they encouraged us to kind of draw a line. And they said, we're going to talk about how to get from here to there. Now, I don't know about you. That's, that's the line a lot of people at the conference drew. That wasn't my line in life. My line, go to the next one in life, looks a little more like this. Can I get an oh yeah out of you? In fact, some of you would say, no, that's not even my life. Go to the next one. My life looks more like that. Because we don't live in a straight line. I need you to know that David, who wrote the words, trust in the Lord and do what is right, did not live a straight line life either. David understands heartache, and David understands victory. And when he, at some later point in his life, wrote, here's what you need to do. When you look out at the world and you say, God, what in the world is happening? How am I to deal with this? Whether it is a decision made by the Supreme Court, whether it is a choice made by the governor or the president, whether it is violence in our streets or difficulties in our homes, whether it is cancer, Heart disease, divorce, even death. David says, can I whisper in your ear the answer you've needed? Trust in the Lord. And do what's good. Do what's right. The word there in the old King James was translated right or righteous. It is not a good word in the sense of, oh, that's good. But in the sense of the right thing, the good thing, the righteous thing. Trust in the Lord and then do what's right. Can I divide you guys for just a moment here? I'm going to let you guys be the trust in the Lord part and you guys be the do what's good part. All right. Let's try this. David says this. I sometimes call this David's two step. It's really easy. Here's step one. But, but you got to say it kind of like you mean it. Try it one more time. Good. And, and as long as you're trusting in the Lord, that's a positive thing. Wouldn't you say? Can I get a oh, yeah. So try smiling while you say it. Don't. Don't scare anybody next to you, but one more time. Here we go. Now, the reason that many of us struggle is that we start over here, which is what? All right, do what's good. One more time. 
Good. In fact, I'm going to ask this group to kind of give, give a little bit of wag, you know, kind of grandma's figure wag when you say that. Let's try that. Here we go. Some people say, what should I do? And people say, that's exactly right. We're told that a lot and we struggle to do it. The reason is because first we have to learn, y'all point up, we have to learn to do what? Now, you see, if you don't, then you probably won't. In fact, many of us wear ourselves out trying to without. Is any of this making sense to you? See, when I find myself struggling to do that which is good, it's probably because I'm not trusting in the Lord. Because when I trust in God's word, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Well, that sounds awfully easy until you got a stinging cheek. Some of us have been hurt in deep ways. Some of us have been hurt in ways that as soon as you name that person's name or you mention a city or a date, your heart brings up this black box from the pit and says, don't you remember how he, how she, and all that anger. And Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for them. Oh, and I try and get a hold of it and I say, I want to I want to do what's good. I want to do what's right. But it's so hard and hate and bitterness and anger and vengeance. David says, you can't do step two till you do step one. Because only when I trust in the Lord. Only when I say, Father, you're the judge. I'm not. Can I get an oh yeah from you on that? God, you're in charge. I'm not. I pulled up years ago behind a van when my son was very young. The back of the van was covered with bumper stickers. And none of them were bumper stickers that I'd want to tell you about. He had collected every double entendre kind of angrier, bitter, smutty bumper sticker and put it all over the back of this. Unfortunately, my son had just reached the age where he was so proud to be able to read. So as we sat at a red light, he began to read these bumper stickers. If this van is rocking, don't come. And I'm saying, no, no, buddy, don't, 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 don't. You don't need to read that. Why not? Well, it's just, he's just got dumb things there. And in the middle, he had a huge bumper sticker that said, God is dead. Deal with it, stupid. And my son said, Daddy, do you? I said, yeah, I see it. That, I said, buddy, don't worry. He said, it says, stupid. I said, you're right. We don't say that, do we? He said, yeah. And I'm sitting there so angry that I'm having to explain to my son why this, pardon me, stupid guy has put this bumper sticker here that screams, God is dead. All of this is rolling up inside me. And then I realized, wait a minute. I'm not the only one who sees this van. God sees this van. God reads every one of those bumper stickers. That fellow is so fortunate, I am not God. If I were God, I'd look down and say, God is dead. No, he's not, but you are there. How about that? I mean, that's, that'd have been my response. I looked down, I saw another bumper sticker that said, if it feels good, do it twice. And I thought, I'll just ram him twice. That's, that's what I'll do. I am so grateful that we have a God that I, I don't have to take vengeance. I don't have to be the guy's judge. In fact, praise God, he has a loving, 
gracious heavenly father who loved him so much he let Jesus die for him. You realize that? That, 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 that person that just makes you so mad, that person that frustrates you so, don't point if they're sitting next to you, but you, you, you understand what I'm saying. In those moments, David says, can I help you a little bit with that? Because David says, I know what it feels like. You see, David's credibility, anybody who knows the story of David knows, God led him through. You talk about a life that looked like that. God led him through ups and downs, through years of leadership, and it all started with David on the top. In fact, I sometimes teach it this way. David begins his life as a hero. Do you remember one of the first stories to read about? About David in the book of Samuel. We read that little David, smallest one of, the, of, of his uh, brothers, and he's the one that Samuel comes and anoints as king. And, and, and God says, don't look on the, the outside. I want you to look on the heart. Later again, the Luke writer would say, he's a man after God's own heart. Do you remember the first, one of the first battles he has? When he takes the little Happy Meal to his brothers who are fighting the Philistines, his dad sends him over there with all his food, and his brothers say, go home. And he says, where's the battle? And, and they say, well, look right down there, down in the valley. Who walked down in that valley nine inches, nine feet, nine inches tall? His armor weighed more than two times what I do. The head of his spear weighed 15 pounds. And every child knows that the giant's name was what? Goliath. Goliath comes down into that valley, and David looks out, and Goliath hollers at the military. He'd done it for 40 days. Why do we need a war? Come on, let one of your soldiers fight me, and whoever wins, why, his kingdom will rule. If you beat me, we'll be your slaves. If I beat you, you'll be Philistine slaves. Any takers? For 40 days, there was nothing from the Israelite camp except the sound of the knocking of knees over there as one guy looked at another and said, you going to go? I'm not going to go. you going to go? David came up with a brilliant idea. He said, why didn't somebody just go kill him? <laughs> Pretty straightforward, right? David says, I'll do it. Before you know it, he's standing in front of Saul explaining, well, you know, I killed a bear once and I killed a lion once when they were attacking me. And Saul says, well, here, wear my armor. David says, I I can't wear that armor. I'll just take my slingshot. Saul must have thought, bless his heart. He was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel. And then David goes out and Goliath says, what, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks and stones? David says, I'm not coming at you with anything but the Lord God Almighty. And man, he runs at him. You remember the story? He takes that rock and he puts it in that sling. How does the little song go? And around and around and around and around. And he lets that rock fly. Struck Goliath in the head. Philistine documents say his last words were, nothing like that ever entered my mind before. And down he went. (laughs) Couldn't resist. Down he went. David takes his head off. Israel is victorious. They hoist him up on their shoulders and carry him around. And before you know it, the song is being sung. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Do you know what it's like to taste the wine of victory at an early age? Folks, there are reasons that we giggle at the foibles of a Justin Bieber or the foibles of of a Britney Spears. Because these kids, now I'm not, I'm not excusing behavior, but I want you to hear me. 
What do you think it would be like if at 15 years old, everybody in America told you you were all that in a bag of chips? What do you think it would be like if at 16 years old, when you walked into your school, the entire school applauded when you walked onto campus? Some of you say, that's what I was like when I, you know, when I was 16. How would you like to have song songs about you and your name in lights? David says, I know what that's like. And when things go really good for you, can I give you a tip? You need to. And do you know how much that will help you when you get that promotion? How that will help you when you get chosen, elected, lauded? Because David's life starts with David as a hero. But before you know it, the next phase of David's life, David moves from being a hero to being a zero. Anybody remember how? Because you see, Saul saw how everybody was liking David and not him. And he even chucks a spear at the poor boy when he's playing his harp for him. David ends up on the run. David ends up in a cave thinking, God, how did this happen to me? Because he goes from being, everybody say hero, to being, everybody say zero. Now, I don't know if you know what that feels like. And by the way, it wasn't David's fault. David hadn't done anything but try and honor God. It was Saul's bitterness and anger and the black heart that he had. And we watch David's story and we say, man, you tell me, how do you respond when you get in trouble and it's not your fault? How do you respond when people at work deal with you unfairly? How do you respond when somebody else's problems cause them to dump all their crankiness onto you? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe today in the car on the way here. You remember, don't you? I found myself coming to church and my wife and I having issues or our kids being frustrated. I can remember the days of pulling up into a church parking lot. Just so frustrated. Mama, he's touching me. Mama, he's, I'm going to pull this car over. And, you know, Dad, that light was yellow. I'm teaching Bible class. We've got to get, right? You know that. You know that line. And finally getting out at the church building, just ready to just send them all to meet Jesus right at that particular moment. But as soon as I opened the door, I, somebody said, hey, Brother Walling. Hey, how you doing? Come on, children. Let's go to Bible class, shall we? You know what it's like, that feeling that says it's not my fault and nobody's paying attention and nobody honors me. And why do I get passed over? David taps you on the shoulder from history and says, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be in a cave when you've done nothing wrong. Well, what do I do, David? I want to cut him off at the knees. I've got a plan. It's got two parts. David, he says, wait a minute, go back to step one. Because if you trust in the Lord, you know that when you are mistreated, the right thing to do is to do good. But David's life loops back again, doesn't it? He goes from hero to zero and from zero to king. He's got a crown on his head and he finds himself being lauded and honored and even People bowing down before him. It's a beautiful place. That's the place I'd like to stop this morning, but I'm afraid I can't. Because that's not where David's life stops. 
David goes from hero to zero and he becomes a king. But before you know it, he's standing on the roof of his palace while the rest of the kings are off at the war. And he looks over and next door, oh my goodness, there's a beautiful woman. She's married to one of his captains. And her name is, yeah, she's up there on the roof bathing. Now, before you blame this on Bathsheba, understand, I was just in Israel in June, took a group of about 32 folks and was talking to some about some of these biblical stories. And they said it would not have been uncommon for them to do that because that was a a cool place. But it was also a place where the water for the bath could be warmed by the sun. So it wasn't that she was trying to flaunt. It was that his palace was taller than all the other homes around. So a place that normally would have been private was no longer private. As my grandma said, don't you blame Bathsheba. David had a neck. Y'all understand what she's saying? David could have said, oh, there's a naked woman over there. But he didn't do that. He said, oh, there's a naked woman over there. And because he's a king, he did the unthinkable. He used his power and position to take advantage of this woman. Bring her to me. And they did. And he took her. And the next morning he said, get out. The Bible says he sent her back. God, what's wrong with this guy? He's gone from being a king, punch it again, brother, to being a creep. Have you gone there? Don't raise your hand on this one, but do you know what I'm talking about? Those moments when you know what's right. This was not a matter of information. This was not a matter of David saying, oh, I didn't realize. Brothers, When it's late at night and you're in front of a computer and the rest of the family is in bed. And you click on some link. and Before you know it, pornography is in front of you. It's not because we don't know better. Teen, when you find yourself at somebody's house. And they say, man, we're going to watch this movie. And before you know it, a movie is on the screen in front of you that you realize your mom or dad would absolutely die if they thought you were exposing yourself to that. It's not that you don't know better. Friend, when you're listening to somebody who says, did you hear? And you say, hear what? And as the story begins to unfold, you know what you're doing is participating in gossip. But you don't walk away. It's not because you don't know better. David taps me on the shoulder through history and says, can I give you a tip on what to do when you get there? And most of you know the story is even dirtier than I've told it. Because after he sends the woman back, after taking advantage of her, she sends him a little note a few months later saying, dear David, I'm pregnant. Signed Bathsheba. P.S. It's yours. Now, the reason she knew that was because her husband had been away at the war. David panics. Somebody's going to find out. And this is what's so beautiful. David immediately goes before all of Israel and says, I have sinned. I've taken advantage of this next door neighbor woman. Please forgive me. 
No, no, no. David would look at the camera and say, I did not have sex with that woman. Careful before we throw any rocks, because in one way or another, we've all done it. It doesn't excuse the sin, but it helps to remind us when I'm pointing my finger at the politician or pointing my finger at the movie star or pointing my finger at the executive, I can't believe he would. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are saved only and freely through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. No, no, David didn't confess. David tried to cover it up. Any of you Bible students remember how David tried to cover it up? First thing he tried to do is he invited Uriah back home from the war and said, Hey, listen, you're a great guy. Come home. Take a little furlough. Sleep with your wife. And he says, Oh, sir, I couldn't do that. So he sleeps on the front porch where everybody can see him because he says, How can I sleep in the comfort of my bed while my soldiers are out in the field? David even gets him drunk trying to get him to sleep with his wife. He won't do it. So David does what he thinks is the only thing he can do. He sends that man back to the field with a secret message for Joab. Would you take this to Joab for me? And Uriah, who's a good soldier, says, yes, sir, your highness. And he takes the note and he never reads it. Because if he'd read it, he would have found out that the note said to Joab, when you're in the heat of battle, give a secret signal and let the army pull back. But don't tell Uriah. It's murder by war. And that's exactly what Joab, his commander, did. And Uriah fell. And David, oh, I can just see the press conference. Out of the goodness of his heart, David, I'll take one question. Yes, Cokie Roberts. Uh, yes, it's true. Uh, my, uh, my next door neighbor has passed away, died in the war. He was a good man. We need to remember all our soldiers who fight bravely for Israel. Thank you for asking. What's that? Yes. Yes, his poor widow had no place to turn. And so I have uh, taken her in uh, to live here at the palace. It's, I feel like it's the least we can do for a family who has suffered such lo- What? Yeah, no? All right. Well, I was going to announce it. We are getting married. She. Uh, she's... She's going to become uh, my next wife. Thank you. Uh, uh, we're, we're excited about it. Uh, you know, when you have someone like Uriah, who was such a good friend, and then we lost him in battle, I felt like it was the least I could do. Was Would you be throwing up at this point? I mean, if you knew the truth, wouldn't you be saying, I can't believe that guy. That's why God sends the prophet to him. The prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him a story of a man who took advantage of a neighbor. And David says, who is that man? I'll punish him. And Nathan says, you are the man. And that's not like you to man. That's like you are the man. Only then does David remember maybe even his own advice. Can I, can I speak frankly? As the kids say, can I get up in your grill just a minute? And my son has always warned me, Dad, do not try and sound cool, because it just, it comes out lame. So, can I whisper in your ear, if you're sitting in this church service, and you're praying nobody around you finds out that dark secret about you, 
if this moment in service makes you nervous. Because Satan has convinced you to cover up and hide and lie and cover up. Because you think you're the only one. If this is you, if you get really quiet, can you hear the voice of David through scripture? Trust in the Lord and do what's right. Trust in the Lord and do what is good, the right thing. If you're here and you've never been baptized into Christ, can you be really quiet for a moment? Is it possible that David's message to you today is trust in the Lord and do what's right? If you've been struggling and wrestling with sin and failing and you're saying, man, I, I wish I could turn to somebody. I wish I could reach out. But, man, if I walk down there this morning when an invitation song is sung, what are people going to say? Let's just back up. Really simple. In a moment, Brent's going to lead us in one of my mom's favorite songs. Thank you for doing that, by the way, brother. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory it sheds on our way. Anybody remember that old hymn? Remember how the chorus goes? Trust and obey. My grandma used to say, there's a lot of Christians that sing that, trust and trust and trust and trust. I said, what do you mean? She said, they never get to obey. Is that you? Have you found yourself even coming to this building and singing the songs and saying, oh, I trust you, Lord, but you've never obeyed? Whether you're 13 or 33 here this morning, if you've never been baptized into Christ, I believe God got you here to this building this day for this reason. That you might trust in the Lord and do what's right. Now, maybe you were baptized into Jesus a long time ago. Or maybe this is the first you've heard about baptism. You say, what is this baptism thing? It's just what Jesus taught us to do. He said, he that believes and is baptized. Baptism is simply immersion. It is one of, I think, the most beautiful. I'm assuming there's water back there. Good. Just I hadn't been here. So it, it is the most beautiful symbol that you've probably seen right here. It is a picture of the death, burial, and what? Resurrection of Jesus. That's why in all the churches I've served, we always pull people up after the baptism. Because that's resurrection. We, we don't. Well, we had one brother who. <laughs> oh. He was a sweet older brother at our church who loved to when he would, he baptized all his grandkids. And when he would, when he'd have them down, he would quote scripture. <laughs> For this is why the Lord said, go into all the world and teach the gospel to every creature. And you can see him kind of struggling there. And as he got older, it'd take him longer to get through the verses. And all the church was, <gasps> until we <laughs> Pull them back up. I want you to know, you may feel like, oh, preacher, let me tell you what. You'd have to hold me under ten minutes to take care of everything I've done. Baptism is not what earns you salvation. Jesus' death on the cross pays for your sins. What we do in baptism is we join in that death, burial, and what? Resurrection. I don't know if you'd like a new life today, but if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, we're going to sing an invitation song, and these front rows here are open. 
And whether you're a young person or whether you've got young kids that call you daddy or mama or grandpa or grandma, if you're here today and you've never been baptized into Jesus, let me just ask you this question. Is it because you don't trust in the Lord? Or you're just scared to do what he says, do what's right? The best decision you will ever make is the decision to say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. Can I get an oh yeah from the believers in the room? And now for the rest of us who are supposed to be setting an example. If David's story leads you feeling like, Jeff, I'm, I'm at the point of being the creep. Or maybe I'm an angry zero. Or maybe I'm a hero who's let it get to my head. Well, then I want to invite you this morning to consider whether it's coming publicly to say, I want the prayers of this church. Or maybe it's just when this service is over, having a, a serious chat with a family and saying, hey, I, I want us to commit together. We're going to trust in the Lord and do what's right. Now, understand, please don't try and do what's right until you've decided that you trust in the Lord. He loves you enough that he gave his son for you. When Steve told me about Josh's situation, I laid in bed at their house thinking about Tara Storch. Tara's daughter, Taylor, was 13 years old when in a ski accident in Colorado, she suffered serious head trauma. When the parents got to the hospital, the doctor said, I'm so sorry. But they said her heart is so healthy. What the doctor didn't know was that that little 13-year-old girl had written a paper at school and had said, I want to be an organ donor, as they discussed it in school. And her mom and dad made the toughest choice any parent would ever have to make, which was the choice to say, all right, we understand there's no chance for her to recover. There is no brain activity. The doctor said, ma'am, I don't know how to tell you this. She's gone. But we've kept her heart beating. They decided to donate Tara's, uh, Taylor's heart. But in a world of internet technology, Tara found out something you're not supposed to find out. She found out who had gotten her daughter's heart. And so did ABC News. Because the story began to break that several people in this little town had found out that a nurse, but they couldn't find out who. They knew it was a nurse in a neighboring community had been given this little girl's heart. And with the help of the donor organizations, they let the lady who had already found out, the nurse had already found out from the, uh, she called them the YouTubes, that she had seen that she had this little 13-year-old girl's heart in her chest. It had saved her life. And I saw a clip from ABC News where they were granted the ability to be there when the two women met. There was not a lot of age difference between the two moms. And when they met, they wrapped their arms around one another and they both began to cry. And after a few minutes of tears, Taylor's mom, Tara, said, 
I know this is weird. But can I hear my daughter's heart? And the nurse said, I have my stethoscope right here. And she placed it to her chest and let Tara Storch listen to her daughter's heartbeat. And then the father listened. And the nurse said, she is very strong. As a dad, I remember watching that and just weeping. But it hit me, that's what God does. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And he gives us the heart of Jesus. And that's why when he puts his ear to your chest, he hears his son's heartbeat. We will walk into heaven not because we've done great, but because Jesus did it perfectly. If you've never given your heart and life to him, God would love to do some heart surgery on you this morning. But if you have already been baptized, but you haven't been living it, maybe he just needs to do a little bypass work. Maybe he just needs to say, we need to clean this heart out. He can do that through his spirit. He can do that through his grace. But we have to be willing to trust in the Lord and take the step of doing what's right. Will you bow with me? Father, as we sing this invitation song, I just ask that you give those courage today that may need to come. Father, I pray this morning that there are folks here who have never given their heart and life to Christ. And whether they're a middle schooler or whether they have middle school grandchildren, Father, I pray that when this song is sung, they would step out and say, I want to trust in the Lord and do what's right. Father, I also pray for those who are here who have been baptized, given their heart to life to Christ a long time ago, but have found themselves wandering away from trusting in you and doing what's right. God, I pray for husbands and wives who may need to step out and say, we've not led the example we need to before our children. I pray for men and women who may need to say, you know what, I haven't invited anybody to church or told anybody about Jesus in years. And come and say, God, I want to begin again. Thank you, Lord, that you've already said you're ready for them to do that. But, Father, we have to step out in order for you to step in. God, when we sing this simple song, may we not sing trust and trust, but may we truly sing and do the words of the hymnist, trust and obey. I pray that in Christ Jesus' holy name and all that agree say, amen. While we stand, while we sing, if you're in need, won't you come? Brent, lead us, would you? One